This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where Bernie Sanders has managed to unite Democrats and Republicans. They say he's committed a major faux pas by saying something good about Fidel Castro, which frankly can be the kiss of death in Florida politics. Congressman Charlie Crist is asking the state Surgeon General to be more transparent about Florida's efforts to combat the coronavirus. The governor says he has a problem with the vaping bill being debated in the Florida Senate and with another bill that preempts any local government regulations over Airbnb rentals and assigns that responsibility to the state. A House committee investigating the Florida Center Against Domestic Violence spends hours grilling board members about the compensation for former director Tiffany Carr. They do not like what they're hearing. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the latest on Florida man who was hit in the penis with a taser after trying to shoplift some ribeyes by stuffing them in his pants. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, February 25th. Governor Ron DeSantis lashes out at Bernie Sanders after his interview on 60 Minutes. The Democratic frontrunner told Anderson Cooper he's very opposed to the authoritarian nature of the late dictator Fidel Castro, but Sanders added it's unfair to simply say everything about Cuba is bad. Governor DeSantis has been avoiding the Capitol press corps like the plague over the past month, but he couldn't wait to talk to us about Sanders and Castro. I just wanted to say, um, you know, in relation to uh, some of the things that, that has been said by Senator Sanders, um, any attempts to whitewash uh, the brutality of the Castro dictatorship is totally unacceptable. Um, it flies uh, directly in the face of the values of the people throughout this state. Um, and this is a, a senator who has um, spoke positively throughout his whole life about the dictatorship there. Uh, he spoke positively about Hugo Chavez and Nicolas Maduro. He's been a longtime supporter of the Sandinista regime in Nicaragua. Um, and that's just unacceptable. And so I think we just need to speak with a clear voice on that. Um, and particularly, you know, it's bad enough that that was happening throughout his life, but you know, now maybe you're older, but this is just who he is. Um, and so that doesn't sit well with me. And I know it doesn't sit well with a lot of people throughout the state of Florida. DeSantis was more than willing to talk about the Cubans, but not necessarily the Russians. When Florida politics reporter A.G. Gankarski followed up with a question about reports that Russia is interfering with the campaign by covertly supporting Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, DeSantis dismissed the whole thing. Uh, Governor, uh, the Washington Post reports that Russians are interested in the Trump and Sanders campaigns. Well, did they, though? I mean, then people started to say that actually that was... Um, there wasn't evidence to, to base that off of. And so, like, look, I, I don't know necessarily what's going on. I mean, we're obviously have done a lot on election security here. We're going to continue to do it. Um, there have been a lot that's gone on um, to try to do things good. But I also think that, um, you know, the, 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 how this was handled the last few years, particularly by the press, I don't think, uh, I think there was a lot of rumors put out, a lot of anonymous sources, um, and it's meant to basically create a divisive narrative. And so um, I would just focus on facts rather than, you know, what some third-hand source may have said. Well, the president did call for uh, Russia to release the emails of Hillary Clinton last campaign. Look, are we going to relit relitigate 2016? Okay. I mean, come on. Republicans aren't the only ones attacking Sanders over his Cuba comments. Democratic Congresswoman Donna Shalala says she's hoping the senator from Vermont will speak to some of her constituents in South Florida before singing the praises of a murderous tyrant like Castro. And the Democratic leader of the Florida House, Keone McGee, issued a statement saying, quote, We have no room for Fidel Castro apologists here. 
Congressman Charlie Crist is calling for the state Surgeon General, Scott Rivkes, to reveal any suspected cases of coronavirus in Florida. The Department of Health says there are no confirmed cases here. They also claim state law prevents them from commenting on potential cases. But Crist believes the global health emergency is more important than the Florida statute that allows the Department of Health to work in secret. Good news for Florida's vaping industry, they appear to have a friend in the governor's mansion. The state Senate is pushing a bill to reclassify vaping products as tobacco products and to ban almost all the flavored varieties that are now available. But Governor Ron DeSantis has some serious doubts about the bill. You know, my view on that is um, you talk to a lot of people, like obviously I don't want kids doing any type of vaping, drugs, uh, cigarettes or anything. So we got to do what we can there. But the adults... A lot of these folks had smoked cigarettes and then they've done vaping and they think it's been better for their health. And I think it's too soon to know whether that's true, not true, whatever. Um, So the federal government's doing stuff, um, but I don't really think that we need to do anything beyond what's been done there. And um, sometimes I think that that we kind of get a little ahead of of, of where the science may be on this. So we'll, um, you know, we'll see. But I don't have any plans to ask for any, any new restrictions on vaping. The governor is also throwing shade on a proposal to preempt local regulations of vacation rentals that are advertised through Internet platforms like Airbnb, VRBO, and HomeAway. Senator Manny Diaz has a bill that says local governments should be stripped of any authority over those rentals, and they should be regulated by the state, specifically the Florida Department of Business and Professional Regulation. Again, the governor has his doubts. I haven't made a final decision, but I would say, and I've, I've expressed privately to some of the members of the legislature, you know, I have concerns about that. One, you know, we're going to be in charge of this as a state. I mean, we have 20 some, 20, you know, 22 million people almost, very diverse state. You know, for us to be micromanaging vacation rentals, I'm not sure that's the right thing to do. And um, look, these are things where you'll have kind of a quiet neighborhood, then you'll have someone do it, and there's like parties going on, and so some of the residents get upset. And, um, you know, my view would just be, Probably that should be de- determined locally. If you don't like how they're handling it, then you probably do that. So that's kind of where I'm leaning now. I mean, I'm going to listen to some more arguments about it if the bill passes, um, but I do have some concerns about that. DeSantis's comments are welcome news to officials at the League of Cities and the Florida Association of Counties, who are fighting to keep their rights to regulate vacation rentals. Next up, a deep dive on the investigation into the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. The Public Integrity and Ethics Committee in the House spends six hours grilling board members of the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Representative Thomas Leake chairs the committee, and they're trying to figure out how former director Tiffany Carr managed to game the system and collect millions of dollars that would otherwise have gone to domestic violence shelters. As you all know, we recently learned that the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence paid its former CEO, Ms. Tiffany Carr, approximately $7.5 million over a three-year period. This committee, as well as all of Florida's taxpayers, learned this information only after this committee initiated an investigation into the coalition and its administration of Florida taxpayer dollars. After reports surfaced regarding Ms. Carr's exorbitant salary, 
It was my hope that she and the coalition would cooperate with the Department of Children and Families in its efforts to examine certain aspects of the coalition's operations and management. Unfortunately, Ms. Carr and the coalition did not. In fact, they stonewalled the department for almost 20 months. During that time, millions more was paid to Ms. Carr. The coalition's refusal to cooperate with DCF and, and the Inspector General led many to question whether the coalition's special standing in the state statute as the sole source provider of Florida's domestic violence services was consist consistent with the best use of taxpayer dollars. Perhaps more importantly, many of us wondered whether such a fiscally irresponsible and poorly managed organization was providing the so very necessary services we expected to see for those domestic violence victims across the state. This committee, as well as the full House, has now approved legislation to terminate the statutorily mandated contract with the coalition. We should expect the Senate to send the bill to, the go to Governor DeSantis this week. However, we will continue to investigate how this gross abuse of state dollars happened and who is responsible. Over the last 12 days, this committee has reviewed over 100,000 documents. Those documents raise even more questions about corporate governance and fraud and conspiracy. The first witness was Melody Keith, former chairman of the board of the coalition. Representative Randy Fine wanted to know why the board gave Carr so many days of PTO, paid time off. In the memo that you that you signed from you to her, the memo says provide another 360 days of PTO, um, 100 days more than there are work days, five days less than there are in a year to her. Can you explain why on earth you all thought or you thought or you proposed giving Mrs. Carr more PTO days than there are work days in a year? I can tell you what the intent of the PTO was, and it was to give her an opportunity to take care of her medical issues that she was reporting she had. I was surprised after all, after you requested the information and I looked back at these memos, I was surprised it said days and not hours. I'm sorry. Y you signed a memo coming yes. from you. Yes. That said you get 360 days of PTO. Your intention was to give her enough vacation days to have the whole year off? That was the intention? The intention was to allow for her to have enough days to recover from medical issues. The intention was not to give her extra days to use as cash. The intention was for them to be used only if she needed them for medical reasons. You're going to testify here that you thought this was for, you gave 180 days of extra PTO because of medical issues, that if she didn't use it that year for medical needs, it just, it just went away. That was what you thought you were signing, despite what's actually written here. That was my intent. Then would it also be true in the year in which you gave 465 days that you intended that was a use it or lose it as well? Yes, I intended for it to be for medical use. How in the world can someone use 465 days of PTO in a 365-day year, use it or lose it policy or not? I understand what you're saying. That obviously was a typo. It was a problem. We, we miscalculated. That may be the understatement of this hearing. The interrogation of the board members was a bit like pulling teeth. But the highlight of Monday's meeting was the appearance of Carol Wick. She's been fighting for years to expose financial dealings of the coalition. Between 2006 and 16, I served as the CEO of Harbor House of Central Florida. 
Despite our success, we encountered roadblock after roadblock working within the system created by Tiffany Carr and the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence, which was fraught with favoritism, retaliation, and we now know corruption. I watched in horror as FCDD became more and more controlling, threatening, and abusive to those who dared question how things were being run or how the money was being spent. Survivors were a means to keep policymakers in line. If you dare challenge them, you were labeled anti-woman. Funding became a means to keep centers from blowing the whistle. Step out of line, ask too many questions, and your funding or even your career were at risk, which I would find out the hard way almost four years ago to this day. The truth must come out. What Tiffany Card, her board, and her senior staff did with millions of taxpayers' dollars is a serious betrayal of public trust. There's a human element to what happened here that's even more catastrophic than you may realize. Tiffany Carr and those in league with her destroyed lives, careers, and endangered countless women, children, and men. Based on the $4.2 million that Tiffany Carr allegedly took for herself last year, just three days of her pay could have funded a domestic violence advocate's entire salary. That's 120 advocates that could have been deployed against this epidemic. It makes me angry just to think of how many lives could have been saved and improved if those advocates had been there to answer the phone, to help with an injunction, or offer support. During the same month that Tiffany Carr was closing on her luxury $1.9 million home in North Carolina, Nicole Montavo was kidnapped and held at knife point by a man who would eventually kill her. What additional resources have saved her from being murdered and cut into pieces by her ex-husband? Could Cassie Jones and her four children have been saved if Carr hadn't been collecting $11,000 a day in funds that were meant to protect them? Whenever I hit another roadblock in my quest to expose their egregious behavior, what provided me with the fuel to keep going was simply bringing it back to the enormous cost her behavior had on the victims of domestic violence. FCADV and its board needs to be held accountable for making a mockery of the laws of the state. During my time running a domestic violence center, I always found it strange that the board of directors was so secretive despite requirements to operate under sunshine laws. As a member center, I couldn't attend a board meeting if I'd wanted to or even if I'd known where they were held. I once applied to be on the FCADV board and was told by Carr, that's not how it works. My center was charged 10% of our budget annually in so-called membership dues, only to find out weeks ago that they didn't have the authority to collect that money. Through the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence Foundation and other efforts, Tiffany Carr increasingly took control of funds, both public and private sources. Private dollars that had previously gone to local centers were soon controlled by FCADV. Money went into the foundation for lavish galas, but never came back out. Asking questions and demanding change was not tolerated within Carr and the board system. Those who got too close to the answers or who were not sufficiently loyal to Carr were fired and replaced. Today I'm asking you not to focus only and think that this is merely about executive compensation and that capping salaries is a solution. The solution is ensuring that the voices of survivors are never silenced again. When a survivor enters a shelter, our first priority is to make them feel safe. 
And to those that hurt victims, our message is you will be held accountable. For too long, despite the resourcefulness and the heroic work of countless advocates, the system in Florida failed, and it cost tens of thousands of victims of domestic violence their freedom. That needs to end right now. The House committee met for six hours Monday and only managed to hear from a handful of witnesses, but Governor Ron DeSantis says he's confident they will get to the truth. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, when you have somebody that's in statute and basically immune from accountability because the agency didn't have the ability to to hold hold them accountable or, or to police saying this. In fact, we tried to just get documents initially and they just told us to go pound sand. So you got to have people that are actually accountable. Um, this was a situation where the head of it was actually basically appointing the board herself. And there was uh, really some, I think, questionable relationships there. That's all going to be ferreted out. Uh, but at the end of the day, we just did an executive order uh, asking all the agencies to produce these sole source um, um, arrangements. And then we're going to we're going to look at them because um, if they're just left to their own devices and there's no no accountability, then things tend to get off the rail. If there's accountability, you know, then something like this can be policed. And, um, you know, the way they were doing this paid time, I mean, really problematic. Um, so there's going to be more come out about it, obviously, through these investigations. But um, I think the root of it was because there was really not enough oversight and accountability, this was allowed uh, to happen. So the investigation continues, but lawmakers still haven't figured out how to get Tiffany Carr to appear before them. Your calendar of events starts with the Senate Agriculture, Environment, and General Government Appropriations Subcommittee. They're meeting at 9 to consider a plan to provide $100 million a year to the Florida Forever Land Conservation Program. The Senate Criminal and Civil Justice Appropriations Sub meets at 9. They'll consider a bill making a series of changes related to veterans' treatment courts. Also at 9, the Senate Education Appropriations Sub will consider a proposal to expand eligibility for school vouchers in the Family Empowerment Scholarship Program and the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship Program. At 10, the House Ways and Means Committee takes up a bill that would tweak the border between St. Lucie and Indian River counties. The House Agriculture and Natural Resources Sub meets at 10 to consider a bill expanding a state law preventing harassment of hunters, trappers, and people who fish. At 1, the Senate Health and Human Services Appropriations Sub takes up a bill allowing pharmacists to test and treat patients for influenza. The House Select Committee on Integrity of Research Institutions meets at 1. They'll hear more presentations as they continue to scrutinize potential foreign interference in Florida research. The House Appropriations Committee meets at 3.30 to take up the university mega-merger mania bill that would turn New College of Florida and Florida Polytechnic University into branch campuses of the University of Florida. And speaking of the Gators, the University of Florida is hosting a two-day Water Institute Symposium beginning at 8.30 in Gainesville. University President Ken Fox will make opening remarks. And finally, it's time once again for the adventures of Florida Man, who quite frankly needs to find a better hiding place. A Florida man accused of stealing steaks by stuffing them down his pants ended up being tased in the crotch. Police say a shopper at the Save-A-Lot in Deland spotted 28-year-old Stefan Short stuffing ribeye steaks into his trousers and alerted the manager. The manager confronted Short, told him to return the meat, but he refused. Short was tackled as he tried to run, but he shimmied out of his clothes to escape. Turns out he was naked when the officers arrived on the scene and refused to halt, so they tasered him. One of the prongs hit him in the abdomen, the other hit his genitals. In fact, he had to be hospitalized to remove the prong from his penis. Short is accused of stealing four ribeye steaks and a butterscotch pudding valued at $42.23.
That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.